When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic Podcast, a great man once said, show me the money. At one point, NFL players said, show me the money and the benefits. When the league drugged their feet, players refused to clock in. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr., Finally, the new music has been downloaded, and all of this music has been courtesy of my nephew, Brody Sanders, a.k.a. Kid Critic. That's K-R-I-T-I-C. You can check out all of his albums. Most of the music you have been hearing has been from his first album that he dropped, named Homeschool. And the latest, you're going to hear more of that album. It's called Aftercare. He's on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon Music, and the like. Very talented, my nephew. He dropped that first album when he was eight years old. A year later, he drops his second. Let's go. NFL historians, y'all know the biz. This show is not necessarily for you, but if you like to listen, cool. If you already know all of this stuff, whoopty freaking do. Yeah, I'm very impressed. But for those who don't, welcome. This is for those who don't know as much. We are here to enlighten, but please correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not above reproach or being corrected. I'm always here to learn. I love that. It's the Behind the Mic Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Neal Jr. It's presented by Belly Up Sports, the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. BellyUpSports.com. Check out the website. You can catch my show as well as others on Spreaker, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, also on YouTube, I have yet to start my show on YouTube yet. We'll see. We'll see. We're working on that. So we're going to get right to it because I have a feeling this will be a longer show uh, like we've been. I've been trying to cut it down to around 30, 40 minutes at max, but the stuff has just been really good. So let's get right to it. Y'all know your favorite part. You like the rundown. Week 6 kicked off in Philly as the Eagles hosted the defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. In the third quarter, it was 28-7. Now, personally, was thinking, all right, we got another blowout on our hands, just like last week with the Buccaneers serving it up. But just like last week against Carolina, Jalen Hurts, he runs for two touchdowns, bringing the Eagles within six points, 28-22 was the score. 
Philly was coming back until a taunting penalty on linebacker Jannard Avery killed all the momentum. I wasn't rooting for Philly, but you know, I don't care what you say. It was still a dumb move. And just in case you forgot the taunting, at the beginning of the season, it was already said the taunting police would be calling those penalties more. Your loss, literally. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. Another week, another game-winning field goal. They love kicking in London. <laughs> the Miami Dolphins led most of this game, the last game in London for this season, by the way, but they lost the lead in the fourth quarter. With the game tied at 20, the Jacksonville Jaguars, his their kicker, Matthew Wright, nailed a 53-yard field goal to beat Miami 23-20. Not only did Jacksonville head coach Urban Meyer and rookie quarterback Trevor Lawrence get their first win of the season, but it ended the second largest losing streak in NFL history at 20 games. So long from Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in London. Dun, 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 <laughs> I told y'all last week how bad of luck I've been having with the ESPN College Pick'em, but it's also been with one of my two fantasy football teams. I'm in first place in the MQY players. But in the other one, I'm one and four. Well, now I'm two and four. I actually won. Thank God. But I've been struggling at quarterback. Basically, I've got Lamar Jackson and Kirk Cousins. Lamar had been scoring points. You know, the way that he usually would be scoring at the beginning of this season. Meanwhile, Kirk D. Cousins, Kirk Cousins, he has been scoring a lot on the bench. So I flipped him. And so did the results flip. One week though, I actually got nothing from really either of them. But then last week, last Monday night, you know what Lamar did. He throws for 487 and he goes nuts. He had 104 points just sitting on the bench. Sitting on the bench. I probably would be either at 500 or above 500 had I got it together. I, I was like, I can't, I can't win. And even this week, Lamar scores, he don't he doesn't crack 200 yards passing and Kirk has like 77 points on the bench again. I, I don't understand it. I, I I just can't. But I will not make that mistake again. Lamar is the starter going forward. I won't make that mistake again. But anyway, Lamar and the replacements, the quote unquote, the quote unquote replacements, Le'Veon Bell, Latavius Murray, and Devontae Freeman, the castaway used to be really good running backs, right? They ran for nearly 200 yards, 187 to be exact, and three touchdowns. But it was the Baltimore Ravens defense that put that beat down on the Chargers and Justin Herbert. I think they heard me talking bad about them last week. Baltimore 34, LA 6. A Bears fan at Soldier Field gave Aaron Rodgers the double bird after his touchdown run sealed victory for the Packers against Chicago in that 24-14 win on Sunday. Aaron had a message for her and everybody else in that section. If you haven't heard it by now, I own you. I still own you. He's right though. Rogers is 22 and six against, excuse me, 22 and five against Chicago, regular season and postseason combined. Hmm. You ever see a movie where the bad guy is hurt badly? The hero has the bad guy jacked up with a gun on him or he's on the ground with a gun on him or something like that. Or maybe he's got a sword. The bad guy says, just do it, do it now, almost Schwarzenegger, Predator style. Kill me, go ahead, kill me, do it now. The hero 
he'll probably eject his clip from the gun, throw down his sword or whatever, and basically tell him, you're going to suffer. Sometimes he'll put him out of their misery. Fast. The Cincinnati Bengals, they went to Detroit and did just that, defeating the Lions 34-11. to Afterwards, Detroit head coach Dan Campbell, he wasn't crying this week, he did not hold his tongue, though, and basically told his quarterback, Jared Goff, bruh, you need to step your game up. The Lions are now 0-6 and have lost 10 straight games dating all the way back to last season. The future is not very bright. Don't buy any shades. The Indianapolis Colts, they dropped the Houston Texans to 1-5. Talk about bad teams. Beating them 31-3 on Sunday. Jonathan Taylor only had 14 carries. He had 145 yards, two touchdowns. Nasty. I'll keep this one also short and sweet. The LA Rams beat up on the New York Giants at MetLife. It was 38 to 11. Matt Stafford, he should be on that MVP, the top of that MVP conversation. He throws four more touchdowns. Of course, Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray, Aaron Rodgers, these guys, Josh Allen, they would have something to say about that. But it's cool. Patrick Mahomes, Kansas City Chiefs, they finally got to 500 by beating the Washington football team 31-3 on Sunday. Sloppy first half by Mahomes and the Chiefs offense. Doesn't look good. Not very good. But they did their thing. But the highlights, there weren't a whole lot of highlights in that game for me. But for me, the biggest one was the D-lineman, Tershawn Gandaway's interception. He one-hands it right there at the line of scrimmage, pins it to the old lineman that was blocking him. That was nice. But there was one silver lining for the, for the team on Sunday. And that was the retiring of former All-Pro safety Sean Taylor's number 21 jersey. And I also love the way that Chase Young paid homage to Taylor by putting the tape on his face mask. That was great. That was great. Boomer sooner. Two college teammates, two Heisman winners, Cleveland's Baker Mayfield, Arizona's Kyler Murray. The first time I believe that they would face each other since they've been in the pros, the two former college teammates, one was the starter, the other one was the backup. Both of them won the Heisman back-to-back seasons. Pretty good. Well, well, as far as the Cardinals are concerned, Cardinals coach Cliff Kingsbury got COVID and he was absent in Cleveland. See what I did there? Didn't matter, though. Cleveland turned it over three times as it got ugly early. Nick Chubb, who was also on my fantasy team, was already out with an injury. Kareem Hunt, who was on my other fantasy team, suffered a calf injury. He's going to be gone for some weeks. And just before that, Baker Mayfield, not on my fantasy team, he got a st- uh, scare by re-injuring that left shoulder that he has the torn labrum in. Not sure if his status didn't check. I'm a Steelers fan. Not this time. I know I'm supposed to inform y'all. But, I mean, hopefully the guy's good. Next time, don't try to make a tackle on an interception. And there was also an OBJ sighting. He actually ca- caught a couple of passes on Sunday. Defense travels, though. And the Cardinals proved just that. And they also brought their offense with them, as usual. Kyler Murray, he threw four more touchdown passes. And the defense forced three takeaways and sacked Baker Mayfield six times. And the Cardinals remain the league's only undefeated team. By the way, Mayfield and Murray, they're the second pair of quarterbacks selected number one overall from the same cool, uh, school, cool, from the same school. First, Stanford quarterbacks Jim Plunkett and John Elway. Cardinals 37, Browns 14. Okay. Vikings at Panthers. Minnesota had 571 yards of total offense. Cousins threw for 373. Dalvin Cook returned to run for a buck 40. Adam Thielen caught 11 passes, 126 yards. On the other side, 
They struggled. The Panthers struggled on offense. Sam Darnold had a total of nine completed passes at halftime. And although he finished with only 17 completions for the game, they tied the game up at 28 after converting two fourth downs and two two uh, and a two-point conversion late in the fourth quarter. I'm thinking ahead because DJ Moore, I couldn't believe he was dropping the passes that he was. I felt bad for the guy. But they tied the game up, and he made some crucial grabs. But the Vikings got the ball first in overtime. They ended it quickly. Wide receiver K.J. Osborne scored the walk-off 27-yard touchdown, tossed his helmet Lane Kiffin clipboard style as the Vikings improved to 3-3. Three and three. The, uh, the Vegas Raiders, they got a 34-24 win in Denver after losing two in a row. The score wasn't as close as it indicates on paper. This coming after a long, distracting week after John Gruden stepped down as head coach following revelation of some, let's just call it really bad emails. <laughs> Teddy Bridgewater, though, for the Broncos, he threw three interceptions. That doesn't help. And the Broncos are now on a three-game skid. I do have one question, though, for the Raiders. How come they don't throw the ball to Henry Ruggs III more? I understand he's a bad boy going deep and all, and they're trying to make him the next Cliff Branch, but I, I, throwing, throwing the ball a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Now, I needed a cigarette after the Cowboys and Patriots game. Fourth quarter, Patriots trail Dallas 21-20. Cowboys corner Trayvon Diggs. Picks off his old Alabama teammate, Mac Jones. Tip drill for a pick six, right? A pass that was intended for receiver Kendrick Bourne. Jim Nance, Tony Romo, they're going nuts in the booth, showering him with praise and talking about his hero, Deion Sanders, blah, blah, blah. The next drive, Diggs bites hard on a double move from Bourne, who proceeds to torch him for a 75-yard touchdown. Then Dallas goes right back down the field, ties the game at 29. Overtime, New England drives... They punt. They had their chance. Dallas drives C.D. Lamb. He waves bye-bye to the corner after he shoves him out of bounds on the game-winning touchdown. Your final from Foxborough, Cowboys 35, Patriots 29. Does anybody have a lighter? I don't even smoke. Sunday night football in Pittsburgh. Seattle Seahawks brought their bottom-ranked defense. No Russell Wilson, although he was at the game. I swore he he was out there for at least one snap with no gear on. Geno Smith, he started in his place. Steelers defense shut out Seattle in the first half. Pittsburgh went to halftime, 14-0 lead, right? The second half was mostly Seattle. They ran the football, and they, they eventually got the lead. The Steelers hung on as the, uh, the Seahawks, they tied it with a field goal to send the game into overtime. All I can say is that two weeks in a row, the Seahawks had a chance to win the game. And then Gino. That's all I can say. Then Gino. A costly turnover at the end. Thank you, TJ Watt. And thank you, Gino. Chris Boswell kicks a 36-yard field goal to win it. 23-20. And finally, Monday Night Football. Titans fans, my apologies. Yes, I skipped the game last week against the Jaguars. My bad. But all you needed to know is that Derrick Henry ran for 130 yards and three scores. The Jags well, on their side, well, head coach Urban Meyer, he told his team, I'm sorry about the bar thing. Titans 37, Jags 19. Monday, people were leaving work left and right to try to get home. The Titans were hosting 
the Buffalo Bills on Monday Night Football. ESPN is in the city. People were either trying to get home before the roads got shut down or to the game. Now, the last time the Bills showed up in Nashville, Derrick Henry stiff-armed the soul out of former Bills cornerback Josh Norman. And let me get this out of the way. The Bills are good. They're good. They've blown out nearly every opponent to this point except on opening day when they lost to Pittsburgh. But it was all about King Henry and the Titans' defense made stops when they needed to. By the way, I love that they tried the Music City Miracle thing. Didn't work out as well as it did, what, almost 21 years ago? Yeah. But instead of his signature stiff arm, my man Derrick Henry ran over, around, and through the Buffalo defense for 143 yards and three touchdowns on just 20 carries. This included a 76-yard touchdown run where I think he was only touched by one of his own linemen. And speaking of linemen, defensive tackle Jeffrey Simmons, he made that key stop, fourth and one, 12 seconds left to go in the game. Josh Allen trying this quarterback sneak. You know, the Bills, they were only down three, and they should have kicked the field goal. Your final from Nashville, Titans 34, Bills 31. Again, I needed a cigarette. <sighs> there were a Monday night football record seven lead changes. And by the way, Derrick Henry also joined the likes of Jim Brown, Hall of Fame, and Eric Dickerson, Hall of Fame, as the only backs in NFL history with 750 yards and 10 touchdowns through the first six games. Really interesting, really interesting. Anyway, prayers up though to two players who were stretchered from the field on well, one on Monday and then the other one was on Sunday night. The Seahawks' Darnell Taylor and the Titans' Taylor Lewan. Great news on the Seahawks' Taylor. It's a possibility he might play this Thursday night. That's good news. Taylor Lewan, he tweeted earlier, today is Tuesday, that, quote, I'm all right. He is, though, in concussion protocol. Coming up next, I like money just like the next person. And I love benefits almost as much. But what would you do on your job if you weren't getting enough of either. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team, team ready. ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. All right, we're going to kick this off with something that we haven't done in a while. And it's a little unorthodox, but yeah, a little short story time with Uncle Mike. All right, yes, kids, get your blankets, your cots, and your teddy bears, your woobies. Now, years ago, I used to work for Railway Express. And basically, it was a job uh, where I, I worked on a dock. 
and I used tow motors or just by hand had to load trucks or whatnot. And there was a point when one of the rival companies who I believe they actually had went on strike back in 94. So this is 1999 that this is happening with me. They, it was Yellow Freight. Well, I worked for a couple of months there. I wasn't there very long. But here's how it worked. You came in and you worked either four, six, or eight hours. And because of the threat of another strike, we were cut down. I personally was cut down. Us casual workers cut down to just four hours a day, one day a week. I had just got married. Just got married. Now, we was on the verge of having our first child, but we hadn't gotten to that point yet. Thank God. I found Federal Express. My mother actually found a job, you know, some months later because I went to, what, the Tennessee and worked in the mailroom. That was a terrible job, by the way. But, I mean, just look at how a strike would affect your job and this, you know, having a union and all of that stuff. And these guys, they wanted me to join a union. And I'm working four hours a day and one day a week. I had to find another job quick. And they following you in the bathroom, asking you to show you your, show them your union card. And I'm like, look, I'm a casual. I'm working on four hours right now. I don't have the money to give to y'all to join a, league, a union. They left me alone, surprisingly enough. But anyway, the 1981 NFL season had just concluded. And in January of that year, in 82, the San Francisco 49ers, who would turn out to be the team of the 80s, would win the first of four world championships by beating the Cincinnati Bengals 26-21 in Super Bowl 16. This would be the highest rated Super Bowl of all time and still is. The popularity of the NFL was beginning to grow and it was also hitting them in the good place of attendance. The attendance was growing in the regular season. Four consecutive seasons, the attendance record at regular season games was broken. In 81, it grew up to 13.6 million. On top of that, at the conclusion of the 81 season, the NFL had just signed, they would sign, a five-year contract with each of the top three major television networks, ABC, NBC, and CBS. And then NFL commissioner Pete Rozelle had proclaimed, quote, this will be the NFL's greatest decade, end quote. Stop me if you heard this before. Just check out Struggle Bus. Go back a couple of episodes. Please understand that signing those television contracts made more money for the league. That mean that would mean more money for the owners. And it should have meant more money for the players. You have more people watching the NFL on television than ever. More people showing up to games than ever. And I'm not a math major, but more people equals what? more money you should all know that strikes are not limited to just regular jobs like yellow freight or you name that job of course it has happened also in professional sports more than once in the nfl it happened before but not to that degree not just a much lesser degree in 68 there was a stoppage of 12 days before the season began and then a new collective bargaining agreement was reached the NFL PA was actually formed in the National Football League Players Association. That was formed that year to fight for the players. 
Fast forward to 1974, there was a two-month lockout, basically during the summer, but the players were back in time for the season. So what is a strike? For those who don't know, you know, and why do they happen? Basically, employees say, I'm not working. Why? We want better benefits and more money. And when a strike happens, what do you do to resume, uh, resume a work stoppage? Better yet, what do you do to avoid a work stoppage? You negotiate. No league should ever want to strike or have a lockout of any kind. It severely hurt the NHL and absolutely destroyed popularity with baseball fans with the MLB. The NHL lost the entire 2004-2005 season to a lockout. And there already was on the fringes as far as fan popularity in the United States, as this sport just isn't as popular as it is in Canada, right? Major League Baseball lost most of the 94-95 season. There was no World Series in 1994. That destroyed baseball. Those new five-year contracts that the NFL signed with those networks netted $2 billion for all NFL clubs to split. Please remember, this is 1982, and according to the numbers, as far as concessions and I believe parking is concerned, each of those 28 teams at the time had a gross revenue of $19 million. So, the players saw that this money was coming in, and it's like, well, we should be getting some more of that. We need an increase. What did the players want? Well, they wanted money for a salary fund from which players would be paid on a wage scale based on seniority and also performance bonuses. These are things that they weren't getting before. And here's the thing, we talked about revenue sharing before, and if you don't understand the way all this money with the NFL is set up, it's basically like this. It was that plan that was set up by Pete Rozelle back in the 60s to help those small market teams, say like the Green Bay, to remain viable in the league. I mean, you got a New York team and a team in Green Bay. Who's making more money, right? It was the revenue sharing plan between TV deals, merchandising, licensing, um, ticket sales. Those make up what's called the national revenue. That revenue is shared between all teams. Local revenue goes directly to the team's pocket, which are those ticket sales, concessions, parking, and corporate sponsorships, for instance. Ticket sales, for instance, 60% of the gross for local, 40% for national. That's national money is put basically in a pot and uh, it is shared between all of the NFL teams, all the teams. So to sum it up, the NFLPA though, they wanted 55% of the league's gross revenue. The owner said, not gonna happen, no. Why? Because, and I read in one point, basically the owners felt that this would impede their ability to run their businesses. Okay, I understand rich people and they're rich for a reason, right? because they keep a lot of their money. Um, they make a lot of it, and they probably keep a lot of it, and they spend smartly, but sometimes you're being cheap. I'm just going to say it. The owners basically refuse to negotiate with the players, and, you know, so just put it that way. And as a matter of fact, their offer, their counteroffer, wasn't even close to half of what the players were asking for. Between union rep Gene Upshaw, you know, the Raiders guard, Hall of Fame guard, by the way, and union director Ed Garvey, they said that the owners should share that wealth. And can you blame them, though? Can you blame them? You can't. Put yourself in their shoes. Who's the reason for those television contracts? The players. Who do you turn on the TV to see? The players. Who do you show up on Sunday, Monday or Thursday, to the stadium to watch? 
the players. You don't turn your seats around. The seats are not pointed going up to the skybox. They're not looking up. They're looking down on that grass or in that dome field. That's what they're looking at. They're watching the players. They're the reason why they paid the money. There's their, their jerseys is the players' jerseys that they buy. It's not something that says, you know, uh, Benson on the back, the owner, <laughs> Miss Benson, the owner for the New Orleans Saints. They're not putting Jerry Jones, even though I would, we wouldn't put past, don't put past Jerry Jones doing something like that, making a jersey with his own created number, right? Double zero, <laughs> you know. But here's the thing. They are the money makers, and you should take care of them. You should. Consider this. As far as the big three in professional sports, think 1982. As far as professional sports, the big three, according to an NBC News report, the average salaries in the NBA were 186000 Major League Baseball, 143000 The NFL bringing up the rear, average salary, 84000 And what also has to be remembered is the fact that NFL players more susceptible to injury and they also have way shorter careers the nflpa did the only thing that they could do since the owners did not want to come on break out break off the, the cabbage they didn't want to pay they stopped coming to work no games no training camps and no practice no going in and out of the facilities and this was unprecedented because this is happening week two of the nfl season they decided that they were not they weren't going to play I think the, the wording was um, all games will be struck. I think that's what Gene Upshaw said. And this never happened in the history of the NFL where there was a work stoppage during the middle of the season. So at midnight, September 20th, going into the 21st, after the Monday night football game between the Packers and the Giants, the players went on strike. There would be no football for 57 days. Hmm. Coming up next. How could they fix this? How are they going to fix that whole thing? And what was it like during the strike for the players and coaches? Well, really the players. And how did it affect those attached to the league that weren't players, the outsiders? Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. There are things today that players um, of today, they may take a little bit for granted. Not everybody, but some of them take it for granted. Aside from playing in uh, state-of-the-art stadiums and having state-of-the-art locker rooms and things like that, there are many things that NFL players that came before them had to play, had to fight for in any sport, any professional sport, anything of any kind on this earth. Somebody had to fight for things to get better. OK, so there are many things that they fought for the NFL players before in 68 when they formed the NFLPA and even throughout the 70s, because there were things that were just not fair. Everything is bent towards the owners, towards ownership. And it takes you speaking up as a player 
and even as a coach, because I know they have a union too, right? Speaking up to get things to change. You can't stay silent. There was a time when NFL players did not get paid for exhibition games while they were injured or even room and board while they were on the road. Stuff was out of pocket. So while the owners were getting richer, you couldn't expect the players to just stand by and accept the same pay. They had to fight for it. And also, just think about the, the strike and the effects on the world around them. Okay, yeah, you got the fans. Oh, no football. I understand that. But what about those who have the restaurants that depend? Anybody out there? Think about the bars or the restaurants or even the parking lots that depend on those eight regular season games. Think about it in any other sport. What about those 82 games in the NBA? What about those people that work in the stadium? Are they still getting paid? Probably not. They're getting revenue. Revenue is being flushed down the toilet. I watched a video. It was a report the day that everything went down where they said, okay, the players are going on strike. It was from Cleveland. And they interviewed some people at the parking lot. And this one lady, she was talking about, you know, I understand what they're going through or whatever. But they also talked about the fact that they were losing money from those Sunday games. It was revenue that was not going to be made up. Nobody was going to give them money back for missing that, right? Same thing with the uh, the restaurants. Waitresses, they were getting big time tips and things. A lot of wait waiters and waitresses, they depend on that money, right? Think about those restaurants that were not being frequented. There was nobody showing up to watch the game in the bar, let alone, you know, before or after the game if they didn't have tickets. Or if they did have tickets and after the game, they'd come there and eat. So think about those things, too. There was a lot of people affected. And I had only thought at one point about the players and the owners. And then, like I said, the fans. But I didn't think about the people that worked in the stadiums or around the stadiums. All right. As far as the players, though, what was it like for those players during those 57 days? For one, the players had no income, zero, zilch, nada, unless they had a side hustle. The NFLPA, they actually, at one point, they worked with Ted Turner and actually put together a couple of AFC, NFC, Pro Bowl-style all-star games, what they called them, all-star games. One was played at RFK Stadium in Washington, D.C., had about 8,700 people that went to that game. And the other one was played at the L.A. Coliseum. Both games were played in a single week. I knew about the games being played, but I had no idea they were in the same week. I also thought they were more. But they drew total about just over 14,000 fans total. The players had to also put together their own practices and things. If you ever watched the story on America's Game, um, NFL film thing, if you ever watched the story on the 82 Redskins, you can see them in the middle of fields, almost like their uh, middle school team or something like that. They had to put their own, organize their own practices and things. They had to stay in shape still. Still had to, to have the playbook down. They couldn't work with the coaches, so they had to do it all themselves. That was an interesting situation in and of itself. I've always referred to, and one day I'm going to have him on as a guest, but he was a former defensive end for the defensive, for the, uh, defensive end for the Buffalo Bills, a pass rush specialist. A guy I work with right now, Ken Johnson. He played for the Bills for, I believe, about six years. He was around during that strike. And he, I asked him, man, what was it like? And you know, he told me some other things that I hadn't 
did not know. You talk about salaries, right? He said that there was like different salaries depending on the school that you came out of as well. He came out of Knox College. And he has a guy that got drafted out of, uh, no, he went undrafted, undrafted out of Ohio State, was making the same money as he was. And he'd been around for a while, right? He also played in that All-Star uh, all game. I asked him this morning, I said, Kim, was you uh, at RFK or, or uh, at the Coliseum? But he blew up. He's like, man, I was at RFK. I was in D.C. Oh, man, it was fun. That was great. You know, he played in that All-Star game. And he said they got about $2,500. Uh, $2, wasn't a lot, but they got paid by Ted Turner about $2,500 uh, per game. I mean, $2,500 per player. And some of them played, I think, some of those players, they played in both of those games. And, um... I'll tell you what he got at the conclusion of the strike. Well, he got a check for $39,000 at the conclusion of the uh, the strike. And speaking of the conclusion of the strike, I just gonna cut right to it. The longest strike in sports history ended on November 16, 1982. And you always have to face the aftermath of your decisions, right? Seven regular season games went down the toilet, as well as two hundred and seventy five million dollars in lost revenues and wages and the owners who signed that five-year deal with those three networks they had to pay back 50 million to those television networks ouch i mean it probably was like couch money but still that's a lot of money the players they lost 72 million in salaries and according to sb nation i'll quote this they gained 1.28 million excuse me billion with a b billion to be paid over the next five years. Minimum salaries for rookies went from 22,000 to 30,000, while veterans pay went from 32,000 to over 140,000. Equally important, the players got severance pay from 5,000 up to 140,000 for players with 12 years experience. Like I said, Ken, he was kind of there in the million, uh, in the middle, he got 39 grand. In the end, the union gave up, the NFLPA gave up its demand for the 55% of the gross. The owners weren't moving off of that. And at least, instead of asking for, uh, they, they actually got $1.6 billion, which basically was the same amount management was offering weeks before, but it was paid out over a period of four years instead of five. And in lieu of a percentage of the gross, the union got half of the league's $2.1 billion TV package. And if I were to make it simple, the players got a minimum schedule, excuse me, minimum salary schedule and training camp, as well as postseason pay that was increased along with medical insurance and retirement benefits as well. How's the rest of that season pan out though? The season was reduced to just nine games. And remember, the first two weeks of the season were already played. So you added seven more games. They played those to wrap the season. For the first time in NFL history, and the only time in NFL history, a playoff tournament was basically created. 28 teams, 14 teams per conference. They competed for eight playoff spots for each conference. AFC got eight, NFC got eight. And they were basically reseeded according to their record, as well as the tiebreakers. Even the, the Cleveland Browns got in, and the Detroit Lions got in. They were both sub-500 teams. 
They were both four and five. It was a weird year. The NFL MVP was a kicker, Washington's Mark Mosley. And speaking of Washington, the Washington football team, they were going to beat the Miami Dolphins in Super Bowl 17. It was played in the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California. 27 to 17 in a classic game. John Riggins, he was the game's MVP. He ran for then Super Bowl record, 38 carries and 166 yards. And he had that famous fourth and one run, the 43-yard touchdown run that he had. It was great. It was great. So all in all, it was a strike that, well, it had to happen. Something had to be done going forward. Remember, things were bit towards the owners and the league for that matter. Even the Roselle rule, which I believe they won in that situation in 76. I think it was John Mackey, who was the player rep versus the NFL. They basically wanted no players to move. Owners didn't want it to lose any of their good players. And if they lost them, Roselle rule basically said, OK, so I'm going to get to pick the compensation. That was trash. That was trash. Me and Big Ken, we was talking about cornerback Mike Haynes. You can't impede on someone's ability to earn a living basically is what they were doing the nfl was doing in the 60s and the late 60s and going into the 70s i guess most of the 60s as well they didn't want the patriots didn't want to lose him of course he ended up going to the raiders the oakland raiders how about that and he won a super bowl the next year in 1983 but the owners and the players association yeah they kissed and made up in 82 but it wasn't over Let's get to these references. Thanks to Gene Wojciechowski. He had an article back in 1987, NFL Strike 1982, a lesson, a history lesson, not learned. New York Daily News, Larry Fox, thanks to him and his article. SB Nation, an article, Nico Hulis, NFL Strike History, Part 1, Setting the Stage for 1982. Bleacher Reports, Kevin Jackman. The books, America's Game, the NFL at 100, Randy O. Williams, Jerry Rice are your authors. Also, the book, 75 Seasons, first time getting that one out, even though I read it a lot. A great video to watch on the history of the league from back uh, in, what was it, 1995. Several authors of that book, just to name a couple, Will McDonough, Peter King, Paul Zimmerman, Vic Carucci, Kevin Lamb, Harold Rosenthal, Ed Bouchette. Good book, very good book. The Behind the Mic Podcast. I am your host, Michael Neal Jr. Again, this show is presented by Belly Up Sports, the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network, bellyupsports.com. Click on it, search it, look at it, read the articles, listen to the shows that you can find, especially mine, on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, YouTube. Better listen to my show, and when I get on YouTube, you better watch it as well. I'll find your house. If you don't, I'm out. Mary 
redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.